0: You're listening to the Grace in Real Time podcast. I'm your host, Paula Mazza, and together with my producer and husband, Jamie, we're exploring conversations about mental health, faith, and the importance of presenting our most honest and authentic selves when it comes to life in community. No Tidy Bows here, just real talk about real life in real time. This conversation is ongoing and we are so glad you have chosen to be a part of it. So take a deep breath, settle in and enjoy today's episode of Grace in Real Time.
1: Hey, Jamie. Hey, Paula. How's it going? It's going great. How are you? Well, you know, I'm always
0: excited about something and today is no
1: different. Yeah, we've got another great interview lined up. Why don't you tell us about it?
0: Yeah. So we are interviewing our great friend, Melissa Bolt. And one of the things I'm so excited to be interviewing her about is this new position she has called Associate Director of Family Wellness.
1: That sounds like a pretty big title.
0: It sure is. And it's exactly what it sounds like. She is in charge with coming alongside families at our church. And helping them navigate wellness in all directions, but primarily mental wellness, which is pretty darn important coming out of this season that we're just coming out of.
1: I agree. That's so important for us to be focusing on mental wellness. And I think Melissa is going to add a lot and be able to help a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And it's pretty cool because this is a position that we have never had at our church before. It's brand new. So she's kind of a pioneer in this.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to this discussion.
0: Yeah, me too. So... Let's get to it. Hello, Melissa Bolt.
2: Hello, Paula (laughs) Mazza.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. I am so jazzed that you are here. Friends, you have to know, Melissa Bolt is one of my nearest and dearest, I mean, it has to be decades now that we've known each other.
2: Yeah, a little over two.
0: Two decades. Yeah. yes. Yes. And I have to let listeners know, once again, we are recording in the middle of the day. And once again, my sweet Josephine pup is just so excited that we have a guest. And (laughs) she's over here cheering us on and um, is is equally as excited as we are. So, Melissa, tell us a little bit about your family of origin. Where did you grow up? Actually, the funny thing is, is I was born out here in California.
2: Oh, Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, my dad was at Stanford. So he was out here, well, both my parents were out here, and he was finishing up his PhD at Stanford. I was born while they were out here. And then when it was time for him to find a job, all of our family is back in Michigan. So they decided to move back to Michigan. He had a good job offer out there. My sister was born in Michigan. So it's just my sister and I. Okay. And my two parents. And yeah, I would say kind of your average growing up years. I mean, (laughs) my sister was super athletic. I just kind of did things here and there. But yeah, Definitely was busy with people and doing things and not anything crazy
0: remarkable mm. in life. Yeah. So I know that you had some very formative experiences during your growing up. When did you start going to church? Like, is that something you've always done or how does, how did faith work with your family? I always went to church. Yeah. Um, and it was a, you know, twice on Sunday thing
2: and on um, Wednesday nights for youth group. Mm-hmm. Our church was not real big. So we knew everyone. Mm. It was a lot of, you know, once the church service was over in the summer, I think it was the way it worked in the summer. There wasn't Sunday school. So then we would just run around, which was the Best. Sure. Uh, and then during the school year, there was Sunday school. So then it was the service and then Sunday school afterwards and then home to eat lunch and hang out, do a little whatever, whatever. We were supposed to be doing homework. And then <laughs> back again for the six o'clock service. Mm. So Oh, wow. So you went twice. Twice. Oh,
0: wow. yeah. Twice on Sunday. 10 a.m., 6 p.m. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's yep. amazing. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's <God's> great. <laughs> um, and I wonder... What do you do? You remember your feelings about going to church as a as a kid? Like was it was it a place you were excited to go to, or was it just like, oh, this is just a thing what we do? Or a little bit of all of that. Again, noting the social part. Yes, I was always
2: excited to go to church to see who was there. Sure, you know because there was always going to be at least a friend there. Yeah. So yeah, that was that for me was, I think the excitement piece of mm. church. Church had was a safe place for me. Hmm. Like it was a place that I knew that I could be myself. I might learn some stuff. Sure. So it was never anywhere I dreaded going. Did not particularly love Sunday school. Sure. Um, I think that was the school part of that, though. Yeah. But it was a little bit like, it, which is I think a normal, right, kind of a kid thing. Right. Right. Oh, totally. So who wants to go um, to school on Sunday? Right. And going to a Christian school. Yeah. it was you know it was part of our lives every day sure. sure so so yeah i never minded going to church yeah um yeah
0: even like the second service i was never it's like oh yeah yeah oh, we more, more do. friends <laughs> you're right who's gonna be <laughs> there tonight hmm. yeah yeah so, so when did your, like as you're kind of reflecting on your childhood and your life, when did your journey with mental health begin in terms of thinking about it or navigating it? It's interesting that you say that. I was thinking about that
2: as our Our youngest Mm -hmm. is now a junior in high school and really kind of starting to think about, you know, do I go to college? What does that look like? What do I want to do? Do I even know what I want to do? And I was thinking back to when I realized, oh, that's something I could actually do. When I was in high school, I, again, Mm -hmm. really liked talking to people (laughs) (laughs) and I loved listening to people Mm. and just being a part of their story and i for some reason i don't i mean now i would say it was part of the way god gifted me at the time i could not actually put that into words of of why was it this way but i had a lot of friends who would share Mm. with me um, and Mm. and share things that you know they didn't want other people to know or things that were hard to me that was very special and it was very important Mm. That it stay between whoever that was and myself.
0: When do you remember noticing
2: that in yourself? Looking back, I can see it in junior high. So middle school. Wow. yeah, I remember I think it was either freshman or sophomore year. There were a couple incidences that I went, oh, that's interesting that this has happened a couple times now. yeah, and then it was either sophomore or junior year. People were talking about going to college and what they were going to do. And and by this time, I had kind of figured school out. So grades were better and it wasn't as stressful as it had been before. Mm. But I remember someone talking about psychology. I'm like, what is psychology? <laughs> they're like, well, this, you know, often people will go and they'll talk to someone and you can, that, that person will help them through, you know, if they're having a tough time or, you know, whatever else may be happening in the situation. And I went, <gasps> I could do that. I mean, that's a thing. <laughs> that's exactly. a profession. I can do that as a job. That's exactly what I thought. I'm like, oh my, like, I could actually do that. Yeah. I was so excited. So, and then realized that our school actually had a sociology and a psychology class. And I took those classes and I went, oh, this is like I I actually enjoy this. This isn't just homework. I'm excited to learn. And sure. So that for me was the start of realizing oh, wow, I'm gifted in a way that actually could be a profession or a job. I right. just thought I was, you know, social. Right.
0: <laughs> and then
2: that that shaped what, you're, what you did in college. So, yeah. So then when I went to college, I went to Calvin. It's now Calvin University. It was Calvin College at the time. It's a small Christian school in Michigan. I say small, about 5,000 students when I was there. Okay. Went in and immediately knew, oh, I thought I wanted to be in psychology. And then kind of going through the process, realized that for really what I wanted to do, social work was a better fit. Okay. Um, I knew I didn't want to get my doctorate. Mm. Uh, and if I went and got my master's degree in social work, that would give me broader opportunities for really what I was hoping to do, which was more along the counseling line. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what brought me there. And... It's been, I don't know, it's been a really good fit and it's been really fun. I laugh because my husband and I both went to Kelvin. Mm-hmm. This is where we met. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I told him, I have to get my master's degree. Like, this is part of, if we're going to get married, you have to realize I'm doing this. Yeah. He's like, that's fine, whatever. So I have a master's degree. He has his four year degree. And of course, he's the one who has supported the family. <laughs> Right, <laughs> everything. <laughs> right, but yeah. I worked after I got a master's degree, and we had Aaliyah, who was our mm-hmm. oldest. And then we moved out here to California, mm-hmm. and she was about eighteen months old. And realized that it was going to cost us more mm. than what I could make mm. for childcare. Right. So that was a big barrier, sure, and a big shift sure. in our thought process of oh, all right, now what are we going to do? What what do we really want? Yeah, for our family. Yeah and decided that we would rather not pay someone else to raise our child, that we would rather do that. Right, um, right. And then make decisions along the way connected to that
0: and it it just made yeah. sense
2: for you and it just made sense and and it ended up working well i mean the way our family ended up
0: rolling yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little busy
2: sure so sure. i don't i don't know after number 2 if i would have been able to work anyway yeah so yeah
0: and so then how long did you work before making that decision before making the decision to have a Leah or to move no, out to, here to to, to stay home to stay home yeah. well
2: i ended up actually what had happened, God works in mysterious ways, which I love. Mm -hmm. I thought I was definitely going to do like individual or family counseling or couples counseling. Mm -hmm. And I ended up in an internship during my master's degree doing adoption work. Mm -hmm. And to be very honest with you, the only reason I chose that as my internship was its proximity to where I was living. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Ironic. And Uh, you'll find out why soon.
2: And then also just the hours that it held connected to me having to study and everything else. So I was like, you know what? This fits. So Mm. I'm going to do this. And they had agreed also to let me do some counseling, like family counseling as well. Mm. Okay, this will work, you know. yeah. And then partway through, the pregnancy counselor at the agency I was working with quit. Ah. So they hired me on to be their pregnancy counselor. Okay, So I was doing pregnancy counseling, adoption work with families, and then also some individual and couples counseling with their psychology department, which was great. I really loved it and ended up graduating. And they said, well, we would really love to keep you on as a pregnancy counselor and give you this adoption piece that would then create a full-time job. Would you be open to that? Yeah. And realized that I really loved the full circle aspect of working in adoption, Mm. that in the pregnancy counseling piece, there is a crisis, there's Mm -hmm. a moment where decisions need to be made, and whatever those decisions end up being. And being able to be there and walk with these women and their families um, through this, I, I absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah, so when you say pregnancy counseling, that's not a familiar, I mean, like, I would just think, oh, I'm pregnant, I'm, I should, maybe I should get some help. Right.
1: <laughs> you know, so right. tell us what How you mean I by that. <laughs> i think sensing this is something a little
0: bit different. It is a little bit different. So
2: what we were offering, it was in connection to the adoption program. Okay. Um, I was working at Lutheran Social Services, and the pregnancy counseling was for those who were in a situation where they weren't really sure what they wanted to do. Yeah, Like, I'm in a situation where I don't know if I'm going to be able to care for this baby. Um, I wasn't planning on getting pregnant. Most of them were unplanned pregnancies. But the age range was, I think my youngest was 14. Mm. But then I also had women who were in their 30s. Yeah. Right? Interesting. Yeah. So it was a big, big range. So it was awesome to be able to walk with them in these moments and help them navigate what options were out there. Yeah. what, What resources are there to help you? if you choose that you want to you know move forward and parent this child what other options do you have if you decide that i i can't i can't do this and i can't do it in a way that would be good for my child that would be good for me so what are my other options and then giving them the opportunity to consider adoption if that's something that they would want to do
0: man that's amazing that I, 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 cool i really liked it yeah I think about when I was, I had my first child when I was 21 and that Mm -hmm. was unplanned Mm -hmm. and out of wedlock. And I was just coming out of a long, dark season of just doing my own thing and got this beautiful parting gift (laughs) (laughs) of of gorgeous um, parting gift as a child. But that was a really interesting season for me of thinking my you know having this initial gut feeling of oh, i'm pregnant and then realizing oh wait i can't be pregnant oh no 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 i'm i there's no way i can be a mom i'm 21 and i'm a hot mess you know and then and and then not really having anybody to talk to at that time because mm-hmm. my i wasn't talking to my mom by choice at that time you know we just had had a falling out and i'm sure i terrified her and <laughs> so we weren't talking mm-hmm. and then um and then i didn't have anybody to talk to and i really thought the only thing i could do was have an abortion That was my only choice. And so I actually had an appointment and there was something in me that said, go to the church. This church that I grew up in, but I hadn't been to for a while. and Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I went and talked to a pastor there, Dr. Olive Haynes, who was just fantastic. She just big red hair and very, awesome. very flamboyant. Just, oh, <laughs> hello, darling. You know, just, <laughs> just this wonderful, wonderful woman. Oh. But But she is the one who told me that not only was it okay for me to want to have this child, but that there were actually places that would help me do that. And it was her voice that God used that helped me say, oh, okay. All right. I get to be this child's mom. And it's been the biggest blessing, but I just, I can only imagine how God used your voice during that season to do something very similar in women's lives, whether it was to keep the child or to offer the child up for adoption um, mm-hmm. and to and then to help make sure it gets into the right family and all of that. So um, yeah, wow, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, that's really cool.
0: That's good. Okay, so you moved you you met Bart had met Bart, we got married, got a
2: master's degree, was doing this isn't my now job. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up getting pregnant. And so had Aaliyah and decided that we didn't want to. Trying to navigate all of that and work full time was a lot. His parents lived in the same town we were in. And so grandpa, grandpa got a Leah right <laughs> for periods of time. And I got work to work part-time. And yeah. it was wonderful. At that point, I did have to make a shift because when I was doing the pregnancy counseling, you need to be available when someone goes into labor. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, which was a little bit tougher when we had a newborn at home. Right. Yeah. So I ended up doing a much more of the adoption side. So working with the families and helping them be ready to welcome a child well into their home and to be become parents through adoption
0: okay so you're in california you have your first child you have our first child in life yep
2: decided okay clearly i'm not going to work so i think it's time for number two okay yeah so we decided to try to get pregnant again couldn't get pregnant Um, we did everything we did in vitro like we did all of it couldn't end up getting pregnant and this is this is a god crazy story
0: Mm -hmm. i remember it well yeah
2: so we had my husband bart who is funny because i do not give him enough credit for a lot he had been saying for ooh, i want to say at least four months maybe six why don't we just adopt And I loved, 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 loved being pregnant. I loved being pregnant. And so part of it was definitely very selfish in that I wanted to be pregnant again. Sure. It wasn't necessarily how we brought a child into our family. It was, I wanted to be pregnant. I loved that. So I remember distinctly going to church and the pastor talking about hearing God in places you don't anticipate. Hmm. And the... Pastor was talking about you know movies and I mean I don't remember else, but all these places that you're not necessarily it's not the Bible or it's not the pastor or it's not you know mm-hmm. and I sat there and I went oh God's been speaking to me through my husband and I haven't been listening
0: <laughs> how often has that been true huh. <laughs> I bet a lot of us can relate yeah I
2: know so I went home and I said um I'm ready. I'm ready to adopt. He hadn't been with me that day. I think Aaliyah was not feeling well. And so I had been in church by myself. And so we then moved forward and we decided to do international adoption. A lot of that was from me doing adoption work. I kind of had an idea of what the path would look like for us if we did domestic versus international. Mm -hmm. So we decided to do international and ended up deciding to adopt from South Korea Mm. One of the reasons that we decided to do that is at the time in South Korea, they use foster homes. So the babies would go from the hospital to a foster home and be in a family setting until they were adopted. Um, A lot of other countries at the time had orphanages. So it would be, you know, a lot of babies and caretakers and, you know, so just in different settings. So we decided to do that. And in this process, some medical things happened. And I had been talking to my OBGYN about it. And he kind of said to me, You know what? I really want to go in and just kind of check some things out. I'm like, Okay.
0: In your body. So for, in for my body. Yeah. Okay. Yep.
2: <laughs> so I, I said to him, I'm like, Okay. I said, But, you know, we're in the middle of adoption right now. Like, I, and emotionally, I can't go there again. And he said, No, 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 absolutely not. This is purely medical. I think it's important to go in and find out so one of the questions was was did i have undiagnosed endometriosis Hmm. so and we had done all the other tests and none of it was showing that that's what it would be but after this other event he kind of went i think we need to check this out he ended up going in with his little camera and his little laser and found a little bit in there but not a whole lot so afterwards he said to me he said you know I I said well do you think that could have prevented us from getting pregnant and he said I really don't think so he said it really just wasn't a whole lot he said but you know, I'd also like to finish off this process by putting you in menopause for the next six months. I said, all right. I said, and, and totally joking with him. And we we're laughing about this as we're having this conversation. I'm like, clearly not like I need to worry about this because we've been trying for how long doing everything, trying to get pregnant. But in the rules, we're not supposed to be pregnant and adopting. So I need to be sure that I, I can't get pregnant. He's right. like, you will not be able to get pregnant. Okay, fine. <laughs> 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 Four months later, yep, <laughs> yep, 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 we were pregnant. Um, obviously, completely unexpected, very overwhelming, with the joy and a little bit of the <gasps> wait. What? Yeah, like what? What do we do? Because we're supposed to be traveling, and we were at the point where we were supposed to be traveling, like waiting any week to find out when we were going to fly to South Korea to go pick up right. our second Aiden. So we kind of sat in that for a few months. Ended up traveling to South Korea, picked up Aiden, brought him home, came home, and was supposed to be heading in for my ultrasound later that day, and things were just not quite right. So How far along were you when you went to pick up Aiden? When we went to pick up Aiden, I had to have been 18, 17, 18 weeks. Okay. So came back and called the doctor. I was like, hey, I, I'm supposed to be in later this afternoon. I just want to let you know about this situation. And they're like, "What? Just come on in now. Just come in, and we're just gonna we're just gonna do your little ultrasound earlier." Okay. Didn't think too much of it. Called my mom. Hey, can you come hang with the kids? So my mom comes right over. Bart actually was working at the time in Orange County, so he was at least. 45 minutes to an hour and a half away, depending on traffic. So I called him, I'm like, hey, no big deal, just wanna let you know that I'm going in, blah, blah, blah. Get in there and they do the ultrasound and I went to sit up. The doctor looked at me and she's like, don't sit up. What do you mean don't sit up? She's like, you're gonna be on bed rest for the rest of your pregnancy. You have an incompetent cervix. And I just, and I'm like, whoa. Like we were just hiking all over South Korea. I just flew internationally. There and back. We brought Aiden home. He was 30 pounds. I've been carrying him all over the
0: place. Right. Yeah.
2: And of course, I'm then freaking out because I'm the caregiver for Aaliyah and Aiden. Bart's working in Orange County. What are we gonna do? Within 24 hours, I was part of this program at our church called Mops. Mm -hmm. And between Mops and our other connections at church, we had childcare set up. We had meals. For my family for the next month i mean they were literally yeah. set up within yeah. 24 hours yeah it was crazy
0: yeah that's the church done right right that there. is such oh my goodness <laughs>
2: just amazing like there weren't words and then the crazy thing is is then aaron five days later decided to join us in the world so born at 23 weeks one pound 10 ounces <sighs> he had a 15 percent chance of surviving and a chance of being neurologically normal.
0: Unbelievable. I remember a picture that you had of Mm -hmm. Aaron Mm -hmm. with your husband's ring around his wrist.
2: Yeah, it's actually up to his shoulder.
0: Oh my goodness, because he (laughs) was so teeny tiny. And I feel like our listeners need to know where these children are now. (laughs) Where these children are
2: now. (laughs) Okay. Um, So our oldest, Aaliyah, is 22. And she is in her senior year of the nursing program at Calvin, the same school that Bart and I went to. Right. So she'll be graduating in May. She, as you said earlier, is engaged. And yeah, she's, she's doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Aiden, our second, is 18. Aiden is diagnosed with autism and epilepsy, which we did not know either of those things when we adopted him. We adopted him as a healthy infant from South Korea. Yeah. So uh, he just finished high school with mm-hmm. a certificate
0: mm-hmm.
2: and started an adult program here in the san diego area it's called coast and he is loving it in oh, fact he so just good. started his job <gasps> this week oh my goodness yes this job he's he's actually working at two places he's working at smart and final yeah and he's working he just told me today he's like i was mom i was just organizing things <laughs> awesome. perfect yep and he's working at round table Pizza. Oh, wonderful. Which does make me chuckle because he's gluten-free. (laughs) That (laughs) was... Really interested to see how this goes. Okay. <laughs> it could be very interesting. Um, but he's happy. He's yeah. happy and he's loving it. And it's a great fit for him. Yeah. But yeah, this has been a really busy year with him. He turned 18. And so we've just had a lot on our plate with conservatorship and looking at, you know, what are what are things going to look like for him as he wants to be more independent, knowing that his level of independence is going to be different than our other two. Right. Right. So. And then our Aaron, and with five percent. Aaron, oh my goodness, he is a junior uh-huh, right now, uh-huh. and um, he's over at Santa Fe Christian, and really likes it there. In fact, I laugh. He texted me first day of school, "Hey mom, can I go lift with the water polo guys?" Yeah, that's fine. Then he comes home, "Hey, um, I need a suit because I'm on the team." <laughs>
0: Okay. (laughs) So needless to say, he's doing just fine. He
2: is doing just fine. I mean, he is diagnosed with ADHD Mm -hmm. um, and gets a little extra support at school. We do laugh because when he was born, they did say, well, you know, he has like a, I think it was like a 75% chance of having ADHD. They find that in micropremies. Okay. It's a very high percentage. And Bart and I just laughed because Bart has ADHD. Oh. And there are multiple people in his
0: family yeah. who have ADHD. Yeah.
2: And so we were like, so probably 98%
0: chance that. <laughs> <laughs> so that percentage was kind of already there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I every single year I would laugh because every year I would go in and say to the teacher, OK, are you seeing any signs? No. Or he's just a boy or you know yeah. whatever else. And then I remember in fifth grade going in and I walked in and they went, we have to talk. I'm like, what What do we need to talk about? Well, we think we're seeing some signs of ADHD. I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been waiting, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. What are you seeing? What do we need to do? Right, you know, right. how can we help this kid? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he does, he does a great a job. He uses his tools and makes the
0: adjustments he needs to make
2: and it works. Yeah.
0: Now we kind of cut to the chase there, but yeah. I know there's been quite a journey in between the birth of your children and where they are now. And I'm right. curious for you just as a mom. Mm-hmm. What has that journey been like for you? Um, And maybe give us some nuances of that. Yeah.
2: For me, obviously, I have this social work background. So I tend to be very aware of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, My sister struggles with depression. And so that's something that I'm very aware of. So when we had kids and I knew, you know, ADHD runs in Bart's family, this is something that I've just always kind of kept my eyes open for. I mean, even with Aaliyah, I would ask the teachers, hey, are you seeing any attention issues? You know, is there anything... That I need to be aware of. And I would touch base with the kids a lot. We would talk a lot about, you know, how are you, how are you feeling? Being cognizant of these, I don't wanna call them issues, because for me, we all have things going on in our lives. Sure. Right? And especially as kids, some things are harder than others. And for each kid, it's gonna be something different. I think for me, it was just an awareness of, are you sad? Are things harder than they should be? You know, what do we have going on here? My sister um, ended up when she was in college, she was also drinking um, and definitely self-medicating for the depression. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, talking about, I've always talked very openly with our kids of, hey, you know, I'm going to ask you questions and you need to be aware that in our family, there is some alcoholism, there is some depression there, you know? So, I just want to be here to help you as a resource, but that also does mean I'm going to ask you questions, right? you know? Right. And of course, you know, sometimes it was, yeah, 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 whatever. That's fine. And sometimes it was, I don't want to talk. Okay. All right. That's fine. Yeah. So it was something that I was always aware of. I think with Aiden, we brought Aaron home because Aaron was so early. We had a social worker who came into our house every month Mm. checking in on Aaron. And after a few months, I said to her, you know, Aaron's doing fine, but Aiden is not meeting these milestones that he should be. You know, yeah. there there's something going on here. And through that, we were able to get him assessed. I remember, and, th- and I think this is when it really hit me that I think I view mental health different than a lot of people do. Because I remember this neurologist, used this older man. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, are you worried about me labeling your kid as autistic? And <laughs> I just looked at him and I went, I really don't care what we call it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the reality is is he's having a tough time right i'm having a tough time trying to help him so i don't care what we label it as as i'm doing air quotes right yeah. <laughs> i don't care what we label it as i just want to be able to help him yes and if labeling him as autistic is going to help him have at it right i don't care because how else do you know what conversations you need to have right I mean, it's just like saying, I have a heart issue. Well, then you're not going to start talking about your lungs or your feet. Right. you talk about your heart, right? Right. right. Same concept, at yeah. least in my brain. Yeah. So with Aiden, that process, we actually were able to get him into services right around the age of three. That's amazing. Which is really, especially yeah. at the time, he was born in 2003. So at the time, a lot of the people we were working with were saying, well, how did you get him diagnosed this early? And- it's like, well, I don't know. I just kept saying, well, you know, this isn't working or this is what's happening or, you know, how can we help this kid? Right. 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 So that journey had been happening with Aiden. With Aaliyah, again, I would touch base on a regular basis. Aaron, I just shared, you know, mm-hmm. it was funny because I kept asking, kept asking, kept asking. And then all of a sudden they were like,
0: whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do something we are like it's about time i know
2: i'm like okay this is great and also bart and i were both at a place in a place where services include services right so mm-hmm. ot pt physical therapy occupational therapy speech therapy sure um going in and getting tools for you know how do you focus better but we're also we were also open to medication yeah. So that was, that was a big thing for the teachers Where, well, would you, would you be willing to consider this? I'm like, well, sure. Let's go talk to a professional and find out, you know, where are we right now? What would be helpful? Yeah. I was just talking to, I was just back in Michigan mm-hmm. visiting Aaliyah for her 22nd birthday. And I was just talking to her and it was really funny. I didn't realize I hadn't really shared this with her. I had asked her if it was okay. If I talked about her mm-hmm. um, diagnosis. She's been diagnosed with depression and An ADHD. And this was something that I had been watching for. And she actually got in a car accident her senior year Mm. and ended up with a pretty bad concussion. And one of the symptoms Mm -hmm. or issues that can come from a concussion is depression and inability to focus.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. And so because of the concussion, we ended up putting her on medication for depression and for being able to focus for ADHD. And after a while, we we're like, okay, well, things are going better. Let's take her off and realize that those medications were actually really helpful for her. Hmm. And what I hadn't told her, which I didn't uh, didn't realize I hadn't told her, is that I had a lot of mom guilt. A lot of mom guilt because here I'd been watching and asking. And, you know, I have a social work background. I have a master's degree. Like, yeah. I should be able to catch yeah, these things, yeah, right? Great, Come sure. on. And it took a car accident yeah. for us to realize that this would have been helpful for her. And then, you know, me questioning, oh my goodness, would this have been helpful for her earlier? You know, what if I wouldn't have missed it? Right. Um, And it was really funny because I was saying to her, you know, it's been a journey for me to realize I can't live there. Right. Right. That's not a healthy place for me to live. Yeah. I did the best I could. Right. You know, and and in every situation, that's all you can do. And it was really interesting because her reaction to me was, Mom, you have nothing to feel guilty about. Why would you even feel guilty about that? Right. (laughs) You know, like it wasn't even, you know, a thought. Sure. So that was also helpful for me to hear as a mom, even though I felt like, okay, I had kind of already dealt with it. Yeah. It was almost a forgiveness from
0: her. Sure. Right. Sure. Of, you know, Mom, I knew you loved me and I knew you were doing everything that you could do, you know. It's amazing when our adult children can come back and- affirm places that we self-doubt right? Right. as parents. I think I oh, think that's a big yeah. part of our journey as parents is having that, um, those second guessing and those. Um, my, uh, my oldest shared with us that she had ADHD and I had, I mean, she discovered this as an adult, you know, in her mid twenties. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea, no clue. Interesting. And so I, that, that mom guilt, Again, and I would say right. there's dad guilt too. You know, there's just that. Just that oh shoot, <laughs> well that's a big one we missed. I mean, I I I assume that we miss boats,
2: <laughs> but there's yeah. some
0: of those boats are pretty big. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that's part of it, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's the grace that we need to extend to ourselves, which I think is so often easier to extend to somebody else. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely to be able to say, oh my goodness, you were do no, you were doing great. But to be able to turn around and say that to yourself, sure, of, sure, you were doing the best you could, and that's that's all you can ask for. Not mm-hmm. that's enough. It's okay. What more can you do? Right? Than the best
0: that right. you can do in the moment. That's good. That's a good word. I know. Oftentimes, married couples, when they're navigating mental health together, and especially in their children, aren't always on the same page, mm-hmm. um, just because they're coming from different experiences, different mm-hmm. different family systems that approach mental health differently. And so I wonder what that was like for you and Bart. I would say we were on different pages.
2: I would say he was also good about trying to be open. Mm. I think with being in the field of social work and the work that I had done prior to working in the adoption field, I had worked in the mental health focused field of was adults and then families with young kids. And there was a lot going on in these families, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. And so I had been exposed to a big range of different diagnoses and different families and the way they navigate things. Yeah. It was super normalized for you. Right. All of this. Right. So for me, it was kind of like, well, no big deal. When we first started with Aiden talking about medication, Bart was a little more hesitant about it. He had been on medication when he was young for ADHD, and he didn't like the way it made him feel. Mm. And I think it was a little concerning to his mom. Oh, sure. And so when I met him, he was taking Adderall mm-hmm. to help focus with like when it was time for exams or whatever else, but it wasn't something he took all the time. Mm. So he had a different view or a different lens that he was coming from because I could see all these positives of medication, but I had never taken medication for something like that. And so he had had personal experience of the way it made him feel, you know? And yes, he was able to focus, but he also felt like this other shift would happen on the other side of it. So we had a lot of conversations about, is this something that we want to step into. Right. And as time went on and we just saw Aiden struggling with things that for me, it was breaking my heart because I was like, oh my goodness, this is so hard. This should not be this hard for him. Right. You know? Right. And we finally got to the point where we were able to say, okay, let's try this. Let's, let's try this one medication and see if this makes a difference for him. And he actually is on, I mean, cause he's also epileptic. So he's not right. like- Anti-epileptic medication. Um, I think he's on eight different medications, which includes like fish oil and yeah, you know sure, some natural supplements sure, too. Sure. But you know we have found that it allows him to function very differently in life and mm-hmm.
0: to be able to be a part of life. In a way that he can't without it without the medication. I know in my family we've had a lot of conversations with different different ones of my kids at different seasons and including mm-hmm. myself talking about the role of medication in um, in our mental health and figuring out if it's right for us and when it's right for us and right. what's right for us. <laughs> Right. And one of my kids was very concerned about medication changing their thinking, you know, re, kind of mm. rewiring their brain. And so I was talking to my psychiatrist about that. Mm-hmm. And he said something really interesting. He said, Well, here's, here's what's curious about that prolonged experiences of anxiety and depression change your brain. Living in that state changes your wiring. And so taking sometimes, not always, but sometimes, finding the right medication that is helpful actually Brings you back to your center. Isn't that interesting? Oh, yeah. I was talking to my sister in preparing for this,
2: talking to all of my different family members about, hey, are you comfortable with me sharing this? You know, obviously this is going to be out there. Right. (laughs) And I was talking to her about it. And I think one of the things, because for us and everyone is different, Mm -hmm. but for us, there's also this balance of therapy, Mm -hmm. right? Getting tools along with the medication. Yeah. And I think what has been so inspiring to me. As I've watched my sister navigate everything was, you know, she was on medication for a while for her depression, Mm -hmm. um, but also seeing a therapist or a different therapist because she was also, you know, moving in life and so having to see different people. But anyway, you know, she's now at a place where she doesn't take medication for her depression, but she has a boatload of tools that she knows where to go and how to get into those tools. And then also when it's hit a point where, okay... My toolbox isn't enough. Right. I now need to go talk to somebody again. Right. Right. I need to get back into therapy and see, are there new tools? Or, oh, shoot, did I forget that this tool was way at the bottom of my toolbox? That's right.
0: That's right. Because sometimes the medication is only needed for a short amount of time because it provides space For you to learn the tools whereas without the medication it's hard to even get to a place where you can learn those tools it kind of quiets everything down like takes the edge off i take medication for anxiety and i don't i mean i still feel anxious sometimes but it takes the edge off so that i'm not so distracted by my anxiety that i can't reach for the tools that i need to be able to manage and you know navigate through that anxiety and the hope is to get to a point where I'm so fluid with using these tools they are just ingrained with who I am that I can start easing off the medication and I won't need it anymore. And then maybe maybe I'll need it again someday. Who knows? But totally. It's
2: been really interesting. I was talking to Aaron. So he went on medication mm-hmm. as well. And he has just fascinated me through this whole thing because we go along. He'll go in and he'll you know, talk to the psychiatrist and say, OK, I'm having a really tough time. Yeah. Like focusing on this or you know I'm having a tough time. I'm feeling that I'm getting frustrated more and has really been great at self-advocating for we need to adjust my medication. Yeah. Right? Like it's not strong enough or mm-hmm. it's too strong mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you know let's make let, you know let's let's adjust it and make it work. Right. It's just it's neat to see and I think I think also different for us because Aiden doesn't have the vocabulary to be able to express those things. Right. It was more of me watching and going, oh, wait, <laughs> this is behavior's better. He can do these things that he couldn't do before. Right. And so to hear Aaron actually verbalize and say, Yeah. Yeah. I'm having a tough time
0: focusing in in class right now. Right. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, you know, let's give it another month and see what happens and go from there. Yeah. Now, Mel, we started out this conversation talking about being so focused on our kids Mm. that we either neglect to partner with our spouses or whoever the partners are in our lives. Mm -hmm. Well, I know for myself, sometimes I'm so focused on my kids that I lose track of my own needs and that certainly was the truth when my kids were littler and still there's times when I'm so focused on what's going on around me that I forget to check in with myself
2: yeah
0: and I wonder about for you as you journey with your own personal, ups and downs of life. Mm-hmm. What is that like for you? Where are your strengths? where are your, you know where, <laughs> where, what are you still working on? Um, and and what, what do you
2: do? You know, it's so so funny that you say that because I had an aha moment in the airport yesterday. Mm. Um, and just totally laughed at myself. I think I have just, because of my education, Mm -hmm. I have been so aware of tools that I just use them and don't really realize I'm using them for myself. Ooh, that's kind of awesome. It is kind of awesome, but I think it also has put me in a place where I don't always realize when I'm struggling or having a tough time. Mm. Say more about that. So it really struck me that our daughter Aaliyah does a great job of setting what I would Consider healthy boundaries Mm. of I am going to do this much of like schoolwork has to get done. So that's going to happen. And then I'm going to set aside like this much time for activity, this much time for friends, you know, whatever else. But also, she requires downtime Mm. and she Mm -hmm. does a really good job of setting aside downtime. And I've never done that well ever. And as I was walking through the airport, I realized I think one of my tools, which I don't know that it's a good tool. Mm-hmm. So this is what I'm now going to have to figure out, which I may have to go talk to someone to help me figure this out <laughs> a little bit. I think one of my tools is being busy to mm. stop me from feeling anxious. Because if I'm doing and going, I'm yes. getting things done and checking things off the list and just da, 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 And at the end of the day, I'm tired and I go to bed and I'm not dealing with those anxious feelings oh my gosh Mel yeah yes <laughs> yep yeah so I think
0: I need to kind of get into that a little bit yeah that's yeah. um that is so insightful and, and how often do we hide behind our busyness and and sometimes subconsciously we don't even know it no I mean I really I thought I was just, oh I'm just a to-do person who you yeah. know and I do yeah
2: but as I was walking through the airport, I was like, you know, it's so fascinating because I was gone for almost two weeks and I was always doing, and not that I had to always be doing. Right, I mean, right. And others were choosing to not. Right. And I was still choosing to do. Yeah. And it just really struck me. I'm at that. For me, is it's a way to avoid feeling anxious and sure. just sitting there with, what What do I do?
0: Right. What Being do I do? still is hard. Being still is real. We had an interview with Mark Freestead recently, and one of the things that he really noticed is how before quarantine, the common experience seemed to be that we were all living these very busy lives and that we had kind of fallen out of relationship with ourselves and then found ourselves in this almost halted life where all of a sudden our lack of relationship with ourselves is on display. Right. (laughs) And there are some people, and I I would say I was probably one of them who never, not not only had I fallen out of, I I didn't fall out of relationship with myself because I hadn't really had a relationship with myself to begin with. Mm. I really didn't know who I was. Mm. And it wasn't until I started to intentionally step back and even claim some Independence, which is really hard to do as a as a <laughs> person who to loves do. being married. I love being married to Jamie. I love my kids. I love being in relationship with my kids. I am better when there was a dog in my life. Like I right, dogs <laughs> you know? are good. Dogs are good. But as I step out to travel or to do different things, like it was really important for me to have a season of doing things independently, just to remind myself that I could do things independently. Mm-hmm. And then when you do things. Independently, it allows for space where you're not distracted by the people around you and and all of that. and And it's interesting because I'm now coming out of that independent, you know, traveling, doing all those things. And now I get to travel with my husband and get to travel, you know, with my kids and do things. But I'm doing it from a different perspective because I've grown in relationship with myself
1: mm-hmm.
0: that I can engage that differently. It's really interesting. Interesting journey, interesting process. Yeah. Um, but my guess is that's not uncommon, especially no. for moms, I would say, especially for busy moms. But totally agree. And especially, I wonder if you being called into this new season of mm-hmm. life that we haven't really tapped into quite yet, mm-hmm. this thought process might be part of that preparation for this new season that you're already kind of in, but of what, what might lie ahead there. Yeah. I don't know.
2: No, oh, could very well but I mean it's it's interesting for as much as I'm a planner and a scheduler and a doer mm-hmm. watching how God has worked in my life in the life of our family, I have learned to step back and trust and watch more. Not that that's easy. Yeah. And try to be more aware of what's going on. Mm -hmm. This new piece of my life right now was never anything that I envisioned. Right. And yet it is such a great fit and it's such a great fit for right now. What's it going to be later? I don't know, but
0: it's, it's really cool. Well, let's name it so that our our, <laughs> our listeners know what, what we're talking about. What is that? Yes. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. Why don't, why don't you describe it from your point of view? Oh, this is interesting. even the evolution. How did do, how do we get here? How did we get here? So I would
2: say, obviously, not working while raising the kids isn't totally accurate. I did end up working for the church for quite a while. We had a summer camp called Kids Games which took a lot of time and effort.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, at one and point, needed a lot of leadership. A lot of leadership. <laughs> that I am not
2: gifted at. <laughs> so it would take months, right, to prepare for this. So this was a paid position that I had for a while. Uh, I also worked for our school. I was coaching there. And those things definitely fed my social worker brain and kind of my giftings. So COVID hit. Obviously can't do a big sports camp like in the middle of COVID, that's not going to happen. So my job at the church shifted. Bart also made a huge shift at the time with his career, and definitely God called. I mean, I there's no doubt about it, and he's loving it. it it's still not easy. Yeah, there have been a lot of changes we've had to make as a family, but it's good. It's good. So part of that was I was working part time for the church, kind of filling in things that were needed there, which were all things I could do, not necessarily things that fed me. Mm -hmm. So I can do them, no problem, but didn't necessarily love like, whoa, walk away every day going, that was great. Bart, at the same time with this new venture, needed someone to help him. Again, things I could do, nothing that really fed me, but I could do them. Uh, In this process, realized that between working for the church part-time and working for Bart part-time, that took about 40 hours a week total. Mm And Aiden still requires time. And sure. it was a huge eye-opener to me of how much I am still needed in his life right now and, and what that needs to look like. So I had gotten to the point where Bart and I had talked and we had both agreed that really what made the most sense was I was going to continue to work for him and that I would you know, just let the church know, thank you so much, but it's time mm-hmm. and I, I need to move on. So... And and I do have to say I'm chuckling here because I'm I'm sitting so Paula is my boss, <laughs> yeah, she's my boss at church. But we have been friends for years, yes. so it's kind of a very um, multi layered yeah. relationship. That's right. How's it's, dynamic. it's dynamic. It's very dynamic. The great thing about it, though, is I have always felt like I can be honest in the relationship. So mm. there is definitely this level of respect and not wanting to let Paula down. But there's also... I get very angry.
0: Very. I'm very, very bossy. upset.
2: Very upset. But I also know I can go to you and just say, hey, this isn't working. So that's really where it was. was I was like, OK, I need to go talk to Paula. And as hard as it is, because I didn't want to let you down. Also, just being real with this is what we need to do. And is the change that I need to make so the crazy thing to me was that week was going to come in and say okay listen this needs to be this time frame needs to be the end of what i'm doing with the church i need to be able to spend more time with bart and i need more time with aiden because doing all three was not working and you came to me and said hey there's this position where we're looking and, and at the time i think we were like a mental health advocate like what what is this position going to be but knowing that it was a position to help Our families access resources that they might need, or, 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 like, what is this position? What do we need to do to help our families? I was also blessed enough as part of my job to be assisting Paula um, as she's getting her doctorate degree mm-hmm. and being part of conversations with families from our church, which I absolutely loved.
0: I think it would be helpful for our listeners to know kind of the nature of those conversations. Okay. Aside from that, we as a church had kind of been looking at
2: how can we help our families with mental health? Do we want to set up a counseling center? Like, what do we want to do? So I had been part of an exploratory board, kind of what what resources resources are out there. What are our families lacking? And then as part of the doctorate program that you're in, for you, mental health, especially preteen mental health, is something that's very dear to you. Mm-hmm. So, part of that is is looking at the church and preteen mental health and what does that look like? And so we were connecting with different families to find out what does that look like in your family? Right. And how is the church helping, not helping? Like really, what does this look like when you look at your child's mental health? And the church.
0: Yeah. And what's going on behind those
2: doors Yeah. Right. Do you not say anything? Do you say something? So that was just, I I was absolutely loving doing that. When you brought up this position, I was like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. But I was just going to quit. And I just told Bart that I was going to quit. And I'm going to need some time. like I need to think about this. I need to pray about this. Which you were so wonderful in giving me the space to do that. Was also feeling very overwhelmed at the time because i was trying to juggle too much yeah so the funny thing was as i went and talked to bart about it and he just looked at me and he said why are we even talking (laughs) (laughs) this is what you're supposed to be doing right yeah so yeah so my new position Mm -hmm. is associate director of family wellness yes so helping our families at the church be well how how do we do that? What does that look like? And right now, what that's looking like is providing resources for our families mm-hmm. that need those resources or that are requesting those resources. We're going to have some family wellness nights where our families can come in and have opportunities to learn new things, to experience new things. And you know, as time goes on, There's going to be more and more that's coming. And that's the exciting piece is what does this look like? It's funny to me that, you know, Paula, you've been doing this podcast Mm -hmm. and linking that to our church website and that being a resource for our families and having you come Mm -hmm. and being the key speaker Mm -hmm. at our first family wellness night. Yeah, God has all these opportunities and all
0: these resources right here. We just weren't tapping into them. Right. And so much of it has to do with creating spaces just to process this stuff, just even think about it, and, and spaces that are safe. For me, the timing is
2: great with Everything that has just happened with the Olympics, with Simone Biles. Right. I right. know that Michael Phelps has always been amazing about sharing, you know, about his depression and his anxiety. But I think the conversation is just so much more open right now. Yeah. That it's not about, and, and, and I think this is what struck me that I didn't realize I was so, and I don't want to say anti-label. It's not that I'm anti-label. I just, to me, labels, it's it's not a label. Right. It's a diagnosis that's helping to describe how we
0: can help. Right. 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 Hypertension is not a label. No, it is not. <laughs> a broken leg, that, that's, that not, not, that's a label. not a label. No. And I feel like
2: right now that is starting to come to the forefront. Yeah. Right. It's a conversation that people are willing to have and they're willing to be open to. Yes. That this isn't about labels. Right. This is about us being healthy, which is why when Paula came to me and was like, family wellness, I'm like, yes, Yes, please. Yes. Because that's what it is. Right. We all want to be healthy. Yeah. It's
0: just a matter of, are we talking about our physical health right now Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. our mental health right now? And even for a family who realizes, oh, it is time to ask some different questions. And I think I need help asking those questions. And so let me find a therapist to ask those questions with, and oh gosh, okay, I've got to make a million and a half phone calls in Mm. order to find a therapist who even can see me that might be the right fit. Okay, so now we have an appointment, but that appointment isn't for four or five (laughs) weeks, and I'm not really sure what's going to happen. If you're lucky, right? Right, exactly. And- we're in, you know, now all this time is going by and now we're actually in crisis with the situation that we're asking different questions about. And I, and and my appointment still isn't for a month. What do I do? Right. And that's one of the spaces that you get to stand in. Absolutely. And I think being available to
2: stand in that space in a way that fits the family yeah is also the most important thing sure right because it's is, not a one
0: size fits all it's not a one size fits no because
2: some families are like yeah can you be there via email right can you just touch base with me can you talk to me on the phone hey can i come in can i pray with you absolutely yeah. hey can i just come in and let's chat absolutely let's do that yeah So I think that's what makes me most excited about this position as well, is that it doesn't have a major definition to it. Right. The definition that's around it is what is best for our families. Yeah. And recognizing that each family, each family member
0: is probably going to need something different. And one of the important pieces of this is helping people in our community, including church families, know that the church is a resource, not just a resource, but it's a fantastic place where we can go and find help that then provides us hope as we're trying to navigate these conversations moving forward and that while there is a gap there are people who are willing to stand in the gap with you. Right. And so the the, right. the intent isn't to replace therapy. No. Or to come together and pray away whatever is going oh, on. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not no. It. no. No. But it's to offer some companionship, some partnership um, and and some voices that could really be helpful while you're waiting for the next thing and to just know that you're not alone. I mean, we're wired for community, right? Right. We're wired to be together. And oftentimes, these struggles that we have with mental health, navigating mental health, even recognizing that it's a thing, creates barriers to that community. And so instead of leaning, going towards each other, we you start step stepping away. back. Absolutely. Yeah. Bart always laughs at me because one of my favorite
2: phrases is to walk alongside. Mm. But that's really what this is. Yeah. Walking alongside as you're going to get the resources that you need. And and it's going to be different resources for everybody. Right. right? But finding those right resources, walking alongside, Mm -hmm. being next to you and being a support, you know, not meddling, not getting in the middle. right? Just, hey, if you start tipping,
0: I'm here. (laughs) Right. I'm here. So Mel, as we wind up this conversation, Mm -hmm. I wonder what are your hopes? What are your hopes for this position? What are your hopes for the church? What do you hope people start to understand differently when it comes to mental health and faith and formation and all that good stuff?
2: You know, it's a little scary because like you put your hopes out there and then like, okay, could this really happen? I would love and I hope that church is a place where people feel safe to be real mm. because we all need every single one of us we all need different supports different assistance and i and i hate saying that because i know sometimes people get hung up on those words like mm-hmm. they don't want to be helped they don't want to be assisted they can do it all themselves but they can't <laughs> but the, i was just going to say but it's just as you said we were created to be in community there are extroverts and introverts so different you know amounts of community Totally get that, right? But for church to be a place where you can come and say, oh, we are struggling with this right now. Or, you know, it's this interesting thing happened because sometimes it's not a struggle. Sometimes it's just a little something that piques your curiosity. It's like this is interesting. You know, I like I haven't noticed this before. But being a place where people can be real and then to feel safe, to be loved. And then to be able to get whatever they need to get out of that. Uh-huh. I don't know, to me, it's what the church should be. Right. And it's not a place of judgment and shoulds. But to me, it's, it's a place of grace.
0: Uh-huh.
2: You know, Jesus loved us, and that's what we are called to do. Uh-huh. And what does
0: loving mean? That means to be there for each other and to sec- accept each other where we are. You do that very well, Mel. It's, a pre- oh. it's an absolute joy and privilege and pleasure to call you friend and to know you and to be your boss. I love it. I love you being my boss. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, Paula, that was a great discussion you had with Melissa. I really enjoyed that and really appreciate how Melissa shared from her heart about her story and her excitement for this new position mental wellness is so important these days we're talking a lot about it we're paying more attention to it we want to pay even more attention to it and to open up discussion for people to just be real about what's going on in their lives especially in the church
0: yeah i love that she pointed out how important it is for the church to be a place where people feel safe to be real i think it's easy to forget how significant our mental health is to our overall well-being especially when it comes to discipleship and if we're offering our whole selves to God our whole beings we talk a lot about offering up our our hearts offering up our you know our bodies as a temple we don't talk a lot about opening up the nooks and crannies all the places in our in our brains and the things that we're wrestling with and we're working out and that's such a big key piece of our overall holistic well-being.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about your conversation, and I think it was something that you brought up, was this point that, you know, as parents, we can miss boats. A lot of times we can look back over things that we've done as our kids are growing up and just really regret maybe some decisions we've made, some things that we've said, and we can be really hard on ourselves. And that really stood out to me in your discussion, the fact that we really just need to give ourselves grace and, you know, maybe approach our adult children young adult children, and say, you know, I'm really sorry that this happened. I really regret it. I really have, you know, carry some guilt about it. I think we'll often find that our kids will say, I don't even remember that. Or they might say, you know what, we can move past that. It was really not that big of a deal.
0: Yeah. It amazes me how much having open conversation allows for relationships to grow in general. And we see that in spades with our kids, especially as they grow from little kids to teenagers to young adults to full-fledged adults out in the world. I think Melissa said this a couple times, how remembering that at that time we were doing the best we could with what we had as resources and what we knew. And just like everybody else, we continue to grow. I was reflecting on a Maya Angelou quote earlier today that says, Something along the lines of, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it's something along the lines of, we do the best we can until we know better. And when we know better, we do better.
1: Wow, that's great. Yeah, I think that's a good word, especially for parents who have young children right now who might be listening and are really struggling mm-hmm. and are, are saying, I'm just not doing this right. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, where do we learn how to parent? Right. It's from our parents. Right. And so oftentimes, you know, when we become parents, we say, well, I know exactly what I'm not going to do. We may have had experiences growing up where our parents missed those boats and mm-hmm. said things or did things that really we. May may not have necessarily appreciated at the time and uh, maybe have been hurt by. And then we grow up to be parents and we say, oh, I'm not going to do that to my kids. But... <laughs> but then
0: we not do that to a fault. <laughs>
1: right. Or <laughs> we, we have our own mistakes, yeah. right? So yep. it's this this is continual cycle. But I think it's the title of this podcast, Grace in Real Time. We want to give grace to ourselves, show grace to ourselves, give grace to those around us and really be open to having these conversations.
0: Yeah. And just recognizing that when we draw close to God, he wants to point out where grace is. And the truth is that grace abounds everywhere, whether you're looking backwards or forwards or right here in the present, grace abounds. All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap this conversation up. If you are enjoying this podcast, make sure to let us know. Go ahead and leave a review wherever you're listening to it on Spotify or iTunes. And if you really, really like it, why don't you tell a friend? Go ahead and share it with somebody. We want to get the word out. We want to start building this community of people who are growing and learning and in just really opening themselves up to each other, to community and grace.
1: <laughs> Stay tuned for another great episode of Grace in Real Time coming soon. See you next time. listening to the Grace in Real-Time Podcast with your host, Paula Mazza. If you'd like to get in touch with Paula, send an email to paula at preteenmentalhealth.com. For more information on the Preteen Mental Health Initiative, the Grace in Real-Time Podcast, and to get connected to mental health resources, please visit our website, preteenmentalhealth.com.